Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down to the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant, her feet never stay at home, now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I have filled my vows, I have food for my fellowship offering at home, so I came out to meet you, I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning, let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home, he has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me, pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much, Roz, for reading that out to us. I uh, really appreciate it. And Chris is going to come, but before he does, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is, Lord, a foundation for each of our lives that is such a rock to, uh, Lord, stand on. And we pray that as Chris comes to explain, you would really encourage him and inspire him as he explains this passage to us. We pray that the result of this is that we would be drawn closer to you. We pray that you would equip Chris now with everything that he needs. And we pray that we as your people would be blessed as we hear your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Good evening, everyone. And thanks, Dan. I recommend that you keep your Bibles open in front of you. Uh, we, as we go through the passage, we're going to be diving in to lots of verses, and it'd be really helpful if you have that in front of you. So I recommend you to do that. Apparently, it's uh, said that there's two ways to avoid the danger of falling off a cliff. One is to position ambulances and paramedics at the bottom. And another is to post warning signs and a guardrail along the top. Now, we might think that in a world where sex is an idol, uh, we might be fooling ourselves if we think that this cliff of sexual immorality 
poses no danger to us. It's possible with God's help, certainly, to live sexually pure lives. Uh, but thanks to today's passage, we get to see a father's appeal of how to keep from the temptations of adultery. And God graciously provides us wisdom, wisdom that acts as a warning sign and a guardrail against the dangers of sexual immorality. You might be thinking, or oh, why so much focus on the evil of idolatry? Adultery even. <laughs> idolatry is also bad. Uh, sexual temptation is and always has been really strong and really disruptive in human relationships. And so it's a central issue to address. For males and females alike, our gender and our sexuality are at the core of our identity. And so to mess with God's order in this area is to mess up the foundation of our creator's plan for human life uh, that reflects and glorifies him. As, as we go through tonight's passage, we're going to be looking at multiple C's. Uh, it's our first C is the context. Our first section, the prologue, the first five verses, is a plea for a son to take his father's wise instruction to heart. And this is in order for him to avoid the adulteress. Don't be an idiot, is his plea. Three times the son is urged to keep his father's words. Wisdom can't be assumed and it needs to be practiced. So let's dive into our passage. The first few verses say this. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. The words uh, of wisdom and commands of the father should be kept close to hand. The apple of your eye, in other words, the pupil, is the most important part of the eye. It's the essential part for vision. And so it should be protected at all costs. And in the same way, wisdom is the most important thing for it brings life. It should be at the forefront of what you do and be the reason behind what you do. Now, even the best advice is useless against strong temptation unless it's thoroughly taken to heart and translated into habits. In verse three, we read the word heart. And we as Westerners, we think of this as being the center of emotion. But the Hebrew hearers of this text originally, they would have understood the heart to be the center of our will and understanding. In the following chapters of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. It is described as being a woman. And so it's appropriate in our passage tonight that our relationship with wisdom is described as something very familiar, as a close relative. And so similarly, wisdom should be very familiar to us. It should be as though it's an intimate companion. So what is the result of keeping wisdom close? We read in verse five, they will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. See, the reward is that when temptation comes your way, when you might be seduced to do something you shouldn't, instead, wisdom keeps you steadfast. The next section we come to, verses 6 to 23, is a long drama. 
it's a parable about this young man who willingly allows himself to be entrapped entrapped by the adulteress. Its dramatic narrative reinforces the instructions that we've just read and the ones at the end of the chapter. So our next C is the characters. First, we learn of the victim. From verse 6, it says, At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. So the words we read here, simple, young, youth, this isn't to be disparaging to young people. The Hebrew word rendered simple in our passage in Proverbs denotes a person who is gullible, someone who is without moral direction. It's a person who is not firmly committed either to wisdom or to folly. It's someone who is easily misled. The antidote to being simple is to apply oneself to the discipline needed to grow and gain in wisdom. And this is why it's really critical to listen to those who are older and wiser than you. And likewise, if you're older and wiser, to share those things, uh, to pursue and store up wisdom to make up for inexperience. We continue in verse eight. He was going down the streets near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. The young man, he wanders into temptation where place in verse eight and time, verse nine, can join forces against him. The young man, he he wasn't necessarily going to meet the woman, uh, but neither did he avoid going the routes that would take him into temptation. We too, we can hang around sin. We can be where we shouldn't be, where we could be sucked in, but we think that we're stronger than we actually are. But of all the people here tonight who would deny that they aren't occasionally susceptible to being naive, gullible or ignorant, we can all be these things. The reckless, they stumble into sin like adultery by putting themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. That this episode takes place under the cover of darkness is significant. For this is when things are more discreet, our actions might be hidden more easily how often perhaps do we think to ourselves that's okay it's done in private or i can look at this no one else will know or particularly of lust or it's only a thought however it's noticeable in this episode that there is actually somebody who's having a full view of everything in this story the narrator looking down from his window and we too we are being watched as it were We should be mindful and vigilant because the judge of the whole earth watches what we do and takes everything into account. Next, we are introduced to the huntress. Verses 10 to 12, we read this. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, At every corner, she lurks. Notice that she's attentive to her task and her deliberate intent contrasts the young man's aimlessness. We need to be mindful and shrewd if we are to counter the wiles of sin. Our next C is the choice. With our characters in place, we now have the woman's tactics. 
the woman, she uses whatever she can, all of her tools at her disposal to uh, count for her. And this puts the young man off his guard. Firstly, Israelite culture, it discouraged the romantic kiss in public. And so the woman, as she shamelessly and boldly approaches the man in verse 13, taking hold of him and kissing him, it would have set the young man back. She then flatters him, making him think that he is someone special. Verse 15, I came out to see you. Note how she preys on all of the young man's senses. We have touch, verse 13, where he's taken hold of. We have taste, verse 14, the sacrificial meat. We have sight, how the woman is dressed in verse 10, and also the expensive bedding in verse 16. And we also have smell, the perfume in verse 17. The woman, she promises security from discovery. Verse 19, my husband isn't at home. He's gone on a long journey. See how she forcibly presses home her case with a flood of words, powerful, evocative words. And the young man has nothing to say in response. It's no wonder that he appears like a deer stuck in headlights. And such is the invitation to sexual immorality. It's presented in such a way that it's really hard to argue against. After all, as we see in verse 18, it's all in the name of love. But while sin, it kids us uh, to lure us in, it's a lie. It might appear good on the outside, but it's actually empty and hollow. The bait, while it looks tasty and perhaps even tastes tasty, it hides the concealed hook underneath. Verse 14, we haven't skipped over, but I come back to it because it's significant. It says, today I fulfilled my vows, the woman says. I have food from my fellowship offering at home. See, the woman, she kids us that she is religious. Look, she's satisfied her God quota. She's gone to church. She's put in the offertory plate. But that makes her think that she has license to do whatever she likes. But her half, her half obedience is actually disobedience. She neither fears God, giving him due respect, nor acts in a way that honors him. God is not like an idol that can be appeased by various observances. We read in Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2 this, that the only sacrifice that is reasonable in light of all that God has done for us through creation and redemption is unconditional obedience. So don't settle for anything less. The next C is the consequence. This is the wake up call, the slap around the face, the kill. Verse 21, it says this, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. The power of words for good and evil is a theme that is repeated throughout Proverbs. The notion that physically orientated romance can satisfy one's deepest longings for mutual love and commitment might appeal to the simple but in reality, it's a fraudulent claim. We shouldn't find it a surprise that so many people fall prey to sexual temptation. It is so enticing. And this is why in our culture, with a godless world around us, love's being sexually immoral. There's a justifiable appeal to the senses. 
if you don't live by the wisdom of God, then you too stand to be seduced in the same way. We should be aware of the power of the seduction, be aware of the lure and the deceitfulness of sin. It's crucial to remember where this sort of sex leads and to its consequences. The passage continues in verse 22. He followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him its life. Don't be deceived. Sexual immorality leads to death. To emphasize this point, it's reiterated three times in our passage. In all three of these examples, the animal thinks all is well, then bang, death. There does appear, doesn't appear to be any imminent danger. And this too can be said about the sort of sexual immorality we are talking about. We wander in in ignorant bliss, but your sin will find you out. Death awaits. So you think you can look at pornography? You're like the ox. Think you can sleep around? You're like the deer. Think that you can look outside your marriage for grass is greener, sexual gratification? You're like a darting bird. Don't be like a novice star, a diver, who is self-absorbed, holding up his selfie stick, jumping into the body of water, completely oblivious to the circling sharks in the water below. The truth is that the kind of sex that lies outside of God's design and context kills. It kills families, kills relationships, friendships, opportunities. Those who don't live by the wisdom of God, but embrace this sort of sex will perish in their sins for all eternity. This is why God is so gracious and kind to warn us. Don't be seduced for you too could be left for dead. The lesson is, don't be oblivious to what is going on in front of you. Even though the young man should have seen the blatant trap that was laid in front of him, he simply didn't care. His momentary pleasure with the woman meant more to him than his purity and his integrity. So we come to the end of our passage and the epilogue. These final verses, they make an appeal to learn the point of the narrative. They say, listen up, for in contrast to the life-destroying words of the seducer, the words of the wise teacher will lead to life. We read from verse 24. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Note the stages of verse 25 of direction, turning, and movement, straying. Given the weather we've been having today, it would seem rude not to throw in a skiing uh, story there. Uh, so in skiing, one of the fundamental lessons that you learn is that where you position your body and you face yourself, that is where you'll end up turning. That's where you're going to go. And similarly, if our vision is set in a certain direction, then appropriate movement will follow. When we're intentional about the way we're set out, it's difficult then to stray onto a different path. But if we're aimless, then who knows where we're going to end up. So what is your direction or motivation? It can be one of two things. It can either be to fulfill yourself or it can be to honor God. 
So which one is it going to be? Verse 26 goes on to say, Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Lest we think that we can make it by ourselves, consider who has failed before us. It's not just the village idiots who are susceptible, it's the mighty men. Those who might appear far stronger than we are. Remember, it's King Solomon who's writing these proverbs. And think of who his father was, King David. He's a great king, a man after God's own heart, and yet he stumbles in this very issue. And many have likewise fallen by the wayside. It takes more than our own might to overcome. We need God's help to help maintain our path. So now that we've observed the young man, we're also made to see ourselves as potentially filling the same role. So how do we deal with temptation, whether regarding sex, money, power, or something else? I think the main thrust in tonight's passage is be aware, keep your eyes open. With this in mind, I'd like to suggest a threefold defense. The first in verse 25a, guard your mind or your heart. You're in danger as soon as your thoughts wander in the wrong direction. While we can't avoid thoughts coming to us, we must not entertain them. As 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The second is 25b, don't stray into her paths. Literally, stay away from the places, the situations, or the people that make it easy for us to stray down the wrong path. And ultimately, don't trust yourself. Be really deliberate about this. Discover where you are weak and run from temptation. Thirdly, verse 26 and 7, look past her, in other words, the temptation, to the casualties and the chambers of death. There is inevitable damage and spiritual destruction that marks taking the wrong path. See the tragedy and the wrongfulness of sin that grieves God and separates yourself from him. The final thing that perhaps remains is how do you respond to this message tonight if it crushes you, if you really feel the weight of its significance, if it's really hard to bear because perhaps you've fallen prey to the adulterous woman or you've committed other sexual sin? It's right to be wary. If you don't turn to Jesus Christ, then you will perish. That's what the Bible tells us. But Jesus offers us life. Our sinful weaknesses need not lead us to despair. Instead, they can lead us to hope. Hope in the one who is greater than our sin. Jesus, he died for sinners. He rose from the grave. And he can take someone who's destroyed themselves because of their sin and they can raise them to newness of life. No amount of sex will ever satisfy you, but Jesus will. You must turn to Jesus to live by the wisdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside you and will lead you and guide you into all truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also offer a way out so that you can endure it. There are times when we'll be tempted to sin, but it's not wrong to be tempted, but it's wrong to give in to that temptation. Remember, even Jesus himself was tempted. And we learn from the Gospels in Luke 4 how when Jesus was tempted in the desert, each time he turned to God's word and he was able to respond in the power of scripture. And we too can be encouraged by scripture. We too can trust it and allow the Holy Spirit to faithfully lead us, to guide us and make a way for escape. But you still need to listen to it and you still need to act by it. So I pray that you will be able to do that this coming week. I'm going to hand over to Dan and we're going to have a chance to respond to this message and to everything else that's going on this week as we come to a time of communion.